When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's 2022 and we're back in your earbuds. Welcome to episode 51 of Podcast Royal, where we're talking all things Christmas from the Queen's most personal Christmas message ever to Kate's hidden piano skills to the Sussex Christmas card featuring baby Lily as its star. Plus, Camilla lands the highest honor the Queen can give, Megan gets her front page recognition, and we're honoring the Duchess of Cambridge four days ahead of her milestone 40th birthday. Let's do it. Welcome back to episode 51 of Podcast Royal and Happy New Year. It's so good to see you. 2022. Happy New Year. Great to see you too via a camera. (laughs) Yes, I know. So I've switched up my location. I'm at my mom's recording this this week. So there's a new background and Hopefully the sound quality is just as good, but how was your holidays? It was so wonderful. I took more time off of work than I think I probably ever have um, and just really um, disconnected and and spent a lot of time with family and really, really, really enjoyed that time off. I feel very refreshed and re-energized and really excited for the new year. How was your holiday? It was really good. So because of COVID and probably we honestly would have done this this way anyway, my New Year's Eve was pretty low key and I just hung out with mom and we rung the, we actually made it to midnight, which I don't think I made it to midnight last year. And then Christmas, we always go out to that resort that we went to for Thanksgiving and we did that again. And we watched It's a Wonderful Life. We didn't get to go to church in person. We did that virtually again. I I haven't been to in-person Christmas church since 2019. And I missed that so much, but it was a wonderful holiday. It was restful and relaxing. And I got um, four days off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two weeks in a row. So I'll take it. I think listeners all know that I've started a new full-time job and I'm back in the office again. And um, just, we've, we've managed to stay healthy and it was relaxing. So I have no complaints. It, It was, it was wonderful, but it is good to be back with you. And I'm so glad you got to get some time off and decompress a little bit because we've both been burning the candle at both ends lately. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed your break. And we actually, um, we actually did go back to Christmas Eve in-person service this year. How was it was that? really nice. It was great. It wasn't a, a big crowd. It, it's actually a pretty small church that we go to. And um, we did the whole candlelight service. And um, so what they do is they do the sermon and then they do a communion. And then, um, we actually go outside for a portion of it at the end and kind of gather around the nativity and, um, and sing Christmas carols by candlelight. Uh, So, um, yeah, yeah, really, really fun. It's something that I, you know, really look forward to every year and really enjoy. So, um, glad I was able to do that. I'm glad you were able to do that too. We do at our church, we do, um, silent night 
at the end of the Christmas Eve service and we do it with candles. And when we're in person, we raise the candles up. And of course we didn't have candles. Um, we weren't there in person, but we were watching it live on the live feed. And so we just held our fake candles up <laughs> anyway and made, and made <laughs> pretend like we were there. And that's just kind of what you have to do in these crazy times is just make do with what you have and just be grateful. So um, I, I hope all of our listeners had a really ha happy holiday and are as excited as we are for 2022. Definitely. So what are you into this week? Cause I've got, I've got a lot of books to bring to the table. So I want to know what you're into. <laughs> so, you know, I, gosh, what am I not into this week? I feel like I have so many different things I'm into this week, but the first thing that comes top of mind is something I really needed this morning, getting back to work. And that is, um, a milk frother. Have you ever used a milk frother? I have, I don't own one, but I've used one. And that is, that is a great kitchen essential. Yes. And they've got them at all price points. I mean, some of them have like the whole fancy coffee machine or you have just like the electric ones that you can plug in or the battery operated handheld ones. They have all kinds of different ones. Um, but I had one a while back and it actually broke and I've been going for months now without one. And I got a, a new one for Christmas this year. And, um, I am really big into making matcha lattes in the morning. My mom got me on that. She, um, introduced me to matcha a while back and she and myself and my sister all really enjoy that in the morning. It's usually either coffee or, or matcha. And so, um, it's been really, really nice having the frother instead of having to hand whisk, you know, milk yeah. in the morning, um, for that and definitely needed that little caffeine boost going back to work today. So what are you into? Well, I'm into a lot of books, but before I go into that, I'm staying at my mom's this week. I think I've said that a couple of times and she is making me first. Oh my gosh. First of all, back up. I got an Amelia noise cup, a coffee Did cup you? Yes, awesome. for Christmas. So thank you, mom. I know she's actually going to be listening tomorrow, but she's actually currently listening because she's in the other room right now, but she got me the Royal women in pink coffee. Oh, mug. I and love I know it's so cute. And let me tell you, it is a good coffee cup. Like it washes out really easily. Just like the little things about this cup are just great. And plus the design is beautiful, but every morning mom has been making me a delicious cup of coffee. She's got the right like creamer or seasoning or whatever in there that I, that I love. And it's in my Amelia noise mug and life is just so good when you're staying at mom's like, it's just couldn't, couldn't right. be better. She's cooking tonight. And so I'm spoiled right now, but anyway, so I got what I asked for on the podcast for Christmas. So thanks mom. Um, so dropping the hints really worked. I guess when you drop it to a global audience that you want something, it gets through. The message comes through. <laughs> but um, as for what I'm into this week, listeners, you know I'm a big reader and I've got actually four royal books that I want to put on your radar. So the first is The Queen, 70 Glorious Years. That will be released by the Royal Collection Trust on January 15th and will feature 144 pages of photographs taken by professionals and amateurs alike honoring the Queen's reign. 70 years on February 6th. We'll certainly be marking that when that episode comes up next month. Then on March 1st, the second book, Joanna Lumley's A Queen for All Seasons, a celebration of Queen Elizabeth II on her Platinum Jubilee will hit stands. Joanna is Her Majesty's 
self-proclaimed biggest fan, and I can't wait to read. And the third book is we have a guest on the show today who actually also has a book coming out this spring, Beth and Holtz, The Queen, 70 Years of Majestic Style Hits Shelves this April 19th. And she'll say this later in her interview, but it's right in time for the Queen's 96th birthday. And finally, Tracy Borman's Crown and Scepter will come out on February 1st and is an exhaustive look at the 41 characters that were monarchs of the British royal family. She writes, the real power of the crown comes from the almost magical aura from which is, I can't speak, with which it is surrounded. And she details how the monarchy both has ancient traditions and protocol, but also the ability to adapt to a changing culture and that the sovereign always exists. It's just the person that changes. So Charles, when he becomes the 42nd monarch, will be the oldest monarch to ascend to the throne. So it just takes each monarch one by one. And I mean, you know, obviously about Queen Elizabeth II, you probably know about her father, you probably know about Victoria, Henry VIII, but there it's it's literally a little snippet of all of those that have sat in the sovereign seat. And it's very fascinating. So I love when there are books to be read and there are plenty of books to be read this year because it is the Platinum Jubilee. Also, I have to stick in here, that glamorous and dazzling photo of the Cambridges we got on New Year's Eve, the one, you know, the one of them from the James Bond oh, yeah. premiere. I mean, nobody missed this, but that I'm into that. That is a gorgeous photo. Yeah, absolutely. I saw that one and was so glad that they shared that. That was really fun. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so we have a jam-packed Royal Rundown. This is what happens when you take two weeks off for the holidays. So let's kick things off by talking about the Queen's Christmas speech. The first thing I noticed, other than how beautiful Her Majesty looked in red, her three-strand pearls, was the only photo she chose was one of her and Philip. That speaks volumes to me, and it kind of made me emotional. You know a lot of thought goes into the photos that are chosen. Um, and I wondered if you noticed that too, that it was the only photo chosen this year. Yeah, definitely. And her speech was perhaps her most personal ever. Let me let her words say it best. Although it's a time of great happiness and good cheer for many, Christmas can be hard for those who have lost loved ones. This year, especially, I understand why. But for me, in the months since the death of my beloved Philip, I have drawn great comfort from the warmth and affection of the many tributes to his life and work from around the country, the Commonwealth, and the world. His sense of service, intellectual curiosity, and capacity to squeeze fun out of any situation were all irrepressible. That mischievous, inquiring twinkle was as bright at the end as when I first set eyes on him. This is like very, really emotional stuff and so unlike her, and I, I kind of love it. Back to her, but life, of course, consists of final partings as well as first meetings. And as much as I and my family miss him, I know he would want us to enjoy Christmas. And for me and my family, even with one familiar laugh missing this year, there will be joy in Christmas as we have the chance to reminisce and see anew the wonder of the festive season through the eyes of our young children, of whom we were delighted to welcome four more this year. They teach us all a lesson, just as the Christmas story does that in the birth of a child, there is a new dawn with endless potential. And February, just six weeks from now, we'll see the start of my Platinum Jubilee year, which I hope will be an opportunity for people everywhere to enjoy a sense of togetherness, 
a chance to give thanks for the enormous changes of the last 70 years, social, scientific, and cultural, and also to look ahead with confidence. Then she concluded in her speech, I wish you all a very happy Christmas. So I, I heard those words spoken, but actually speaking them, they're so powerful. And in addition to the loss of Philip, her words became even more poignant when we learned that two of her ladies in waiting have recently passed away. Anne Fortune Fitzroy, Duchess of Grafton, died on December 3rd at age 101. And Diana Maxwell, Lady Farnham, died on December 29th at age 90. I can remember when my grandmother entered the phase where all of her friends were dying and it's just such a hard time. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this really poignant, really moving Christmas speech. Well, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, you're, you're right. It was a very personal feeling um, speech. And I do think it's helpful to go back and read what she's saying, because when she's saying it in the moment, I feel like there's so much to focus on there in that video. You're looking at her, you're looking at the trees, you're looking at photos that pop up on the screen and, um, and to go back and really read it, it, it does kind of feel a little bit different. Um, I loved it. And I, I agree with you. I think I thought she looked beautiful. Um, she had this really nice tailored red dress. She did a great job delivering the speech, which I imagine was incredibly hard. Um, I, I was thinking about last year's in relation to this year. And I felt like last year, we all kind of tuned in clinging to, you know, this feeling of just wanting to hear some words of encouragement for her from her, you know, and, and 2020 was a tough year. And there was a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people. And, and this year felt different to me. Um, it felt like it took a more peaceful kind of calming and, and like you said, personal tone. Um, she did reference Christmas traditions that a lot of families can relate to and probably feel nostalgic. She talked about, um, you know, the childlike wonders of Christmas. And we even saw some footage of some past Christmases when Charles was young. And, um, and you know, of course, her reference to Prince Philip was really touching. Um, so, you know, 2020 was a tough year for a lot of people, but 2021 was a really tough year for her. Um, yeah. And it felt like she she did just want to focus on the peace that comes with the Christmas season. Um, I loved how she referenced her faith um, in Jesus. And she she's done that before in other Christmas speeches. I feel like it's a time of year where it's really easy to focus on the consumerism around that holiday. And I think that's a really, really important part for her to reference in her speech. We don't hear that from a lot of world leaders. Um, and so I really appreciated that. And um, I don't know, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a really great speech. I really like how you put that, Jessica, that 2020 was a difficult year for all of us collectively, and so was 2021 to a degree, but 2021 was in particular a difficult year for her, and we really got to see an emotional side, not that she got emotional, but in her words, a more personal side to her majesty than we normally do, and it was beautiful. And I thought, I thought she, it's, it's, I mean, I cried, that doesn't surprise anybody, but I mean, it, it was certainly probably my favorite of her Christmas messages ever. And we saw a side of her that it was just so human 
And, and I appreciated that. And then we found out about some disturbing news over the Christmas holiday. An armed intruder was arrested on the grounds of Windsor on Christmas day. The queen, Charles and Camilla were inside. Around 8.30 a.m. on Christmas Day, a 19-year-old man armed with a crossbow was arrested and taken into custody. Thames Valley Police Superintendent Rebecca Mears said in a statement, we can confirm security processes were triggered within moments of the man entering the grounds and he did not enter any building. So that's something to be thankful for. How terrifying is, is that, though? Right. Yeah, I know. I can't imagine how people slip past security like that. I mean, you know, I was thinking maybe on Christmas Day, they were a little relaxed thinking, you know, celebrating and thinking, you know, they didn't have anything to worry about. I don't know. But um, it seems like intruders seem to be pretty good at um, slipping past security and and making it onto the grounds. So I don't know. I am glad though. It does feel like they react pretty quickly before anything dangerous happens. But I mean, what in the world is this person thinking? Like what could have been going through his mind to do something like that? Obviously he's not thinking clearly and thank God that he didn't, you know, because as as anybody who's seen the crown knows that in the past there have been security, has been a security breach Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, the building has been entered and at least now they, that didn't happen. So Um, scary and also scary backing up a moment to right before Christmas Princess Anne's husband Vice Admiral Sir Timothy Lawrence tested positive for COVID I never heard of Anne also testing positive so hopefully she never did that forced the two to isolate thereby missing a Christmas day visit with the Queen Um, of course we hope that um, Anne never contracted COVID and that that Timothy is is doing well. And thankfully the queen was not alone on Christmas. I know we talked about how we really did not want that to happen. Um, Eldest son, Charles and his wife, Camilla spent the day with her at Windsor, which I was happy to hear. And I'm sure you were as well. Yes. um, You know, we talked about that in our last episode. I um, expected that she would spend Christmas with a small group of family members. I wasn't sure who it would be. Um, but I just don't think there was, there would be any way that they could let her spend Christmas alone, especially with it being her first one without Prince Philip. Um, but I thought Charles and Camilla are really the perfect ones to spend the day with her. You know, the others were probably busy with all the presents with kids and keeping up with, you know, young ones running around. And I think that they were probably great company and, um, a, a peaceful crowd for her to relax with um, that yeah. day. Yeah, we saw Charles and Camilla at church at St. George's Chapel at Windsor on Christmas Day. Edward and Sophie were also there. The Queen opted not to attend church because of the COVID surge. The Cambridges, for their part, were spotted attending church at Sandringham. They were out at Anmer Hall with the Middletons. And we are going to do a lengthy tribute to the Duchess of Cambridge later in the show, but we got we have to talk about Kate's Together at Christmas Carol concert. It aired on Christmas Eve in the UK and featured a lovely surprise, Kate, accompanying singer Tom Walker on piano in a surprise duet. Uh, we said this on our Instagram, which, by the way, I really have been making an effort to post on our Instagram. I think I've done it like three <laughs> times this year and it's January 4th. So go us. But just when we think Kate can get no cooler, she puts us in our place. The performance was her idea, and apparently Kate has turned to music to help her wade through the murky waters of the pandemic. It was lovely. She did a great job, and I'm telling you, I kind of think Kate can do anything. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. It was kind of the, the moment heard around the world. 
Yeah, I thought it was a really beautiful performance. She did look very comfortable and very confident playing the piano. She looked like she was genuinely enjoying the experience. And, you know, we don't really think of her being in the spotlight performing like that. Um, but I can imagine it would be really nerve wracking, but you know, if she was nervous, I couldn't tell she looked super comfortable up there. Her red outfit was gorgeous. Um, there's actually an Instagram account. Some of our listeners might follow it's called, uh, let's see, what is it? All that's pretty. Um, it's a girl that runs it. I think she's based in the UK and she is a fellow Royal follower. Um, but she actually, she posted about the Christmas concert on her Instagram account. And then the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge shared her post on their account. And she was Mm -hmm. like super shocked and excited. And she got on stories and said like her Christmas was made and it was just really (laughs) fun to watch. Um, But on her Instagram profile, she kind of calls herself jokingly K Middies BFF. Um, So if anyone (laughs) wants to go follow her, you may get some Royal content occasionally. Occasionally. She posted, I think a few weeks or a few months back, she was actually out in London um, and and was on Instagram and she did like a a live or or something. And I, I was watching it and Kate was coming home for the afternoon to Kensington Palace and this helicopter lands, you see Kate get out, she walks, you know, she kind of looks back and waves at everyone, she walks in the gates and then you see I think it's like Charlotte and Louis kind of running out to greet her um, when she gets home and so that was really, really a fun moment to see but um, yeah it's her her handle is all that's pretty if if listeners want to go check her out. Checking that out. Maybe get some royal content. How would you feel if like the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, I mean, in my wildest dreams, I have to post better Instagram content for that to ever happen, (laughs) for them to, for them to, oh my gosh, how amazing. Um, Kate nailed it. Like seriously, every time I think, oh, she's so cool. She can do everything. She just goes and does something else that's so cool. And I think that the nation really needed that at that moment. It was such an uplift. And so I I think it's great. Definitely. So we kind of jokingly and skeptically predicted this in our last episode. I think we said, listeners can fact check us, but we were like, oh, it'll never happen. But what if the Sussexes released their Christmas card before Christmas? (laughs) Well, sure enough, on December 23rd, two days before Christmas, we got a holiday card from the Sussexes. We finally got our first glimpse of six-month-old Lilibet Diana in the Sussex family Christmas card, complete with a barefoot Harry, a stylish Megan, and a red-headed Archie. And what looks to be some red hair on Lily as well. Um, the photo was taken by longtime Sussex loved photographer Alexi Lubomirsky. I hope I didn't butcher that, who also photographed Harry and Meghan's wedding in 2018. So, I mean, I can't imagine that any of our listeners have not seen this photo at this point, but in the photo, Harry, who is barefoot and in ripped denim, smiles broadly as he looks at baby Lily while holding Archie, who himself is in denim and a white button-up shirt and that gorgeous red hair. Lily is in white and beaming as she's held up by mom, Megan, who is stunning in a black long sleeve top, denim, and unlike the rest of her family, cream-colored flats, which can barely be seen in the picture. And the accompanying message reads, this year, 2021, we welcomed our daughter, Lilibet, to the world. 
Archie made us a mama and a papa and Lily made us a family. I think that's beautiful. As we look forward to 2022, we have made donations on your behalf to several organizations that honor and protect families from those being relocated from Afghanistan to American families in need of parental leave. So dying to know your thoughts on the card. I thought it was a really good photo of the family and and definitely the first thing I noticed was Archie's head full of red hair. I mean, he yep. <laughs> he's like a tiny Prince Harry, um, you know, but I do think his locks are maybe a little bit darker than Harry's really, really cute photo. Um, and like you said, I agree. I think Lily may have a little bit of red hair in there as well, um, but they all looked really happy, kind of felt like a classic American family photo, like this kind of all American laid back style. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we mentioned recently also the Cambridges had a pretty laid back style on their Christmas card this year. And, you know, my thought was, well, we just got a bunch of bare knees and bare feet. We got William's bare knees and Harry's bare feet. So my goodness, by the way, my mom told me this, I don't have any confirmation of this, but apparently for her 40th birthday, which is on January 9th, and we will talk about that at length in our interview with Bethan, apparently we're going to get a photo like we've never seen before of the Duchess of Cambridge. I have no idea what that means, but for that, I can't wait for that. So um, more Megan news. The day after Christmas, Megan got her front page apology from the mail on Sunday and mail online with the notice, which well, kind of, it's, I don't know if I call it an apology, but the notice read the Duchess of Sussex wins her legal case for copyright infringement against associated newspapers for articles published in the mail on Sunday and posted on mail online. Followed by following a hearing on uh, the 19th and 20th of January, 2021, and a further hearing on May 5th, 2021, the court has given judgment for the Duchess of Sussex on her claim for copyright infringement. The court found that Associated Newspapers infringed her copyright by publishing extracts of her handwritten letter to her father in the mail on Sunday and on mail online. Financial remedies have been agreed. The remainder of the public apology, which apology is a very loose term, that sounds more like a news story than an apology, read on page three. So hopefully that's a done deal now. Yeah, I actually um, was meaning to go look that up and I haven't seen it yet. So um, hopefully it's the apology that wasn't an apology, but there it is. They did what they had to do. Yep. They did what they had to do. So here's uh, we're going to talk about Andrew in a moment because uh, we're recording this on January 4th, Tuesday, and there's some big Andrew news happening right now. But um, here's something complicated and tricky for your new year. I read an article that in addition to ex-wife Sarah Ferguson and older brother Charles, Megan could be called to testify in the trial later this year, or the potential trial, I should say, later this year of Prince Andrew. This is according to Virginia Jeffries lawyer David Boyce, B-O-I-E-S, who said he may depose Megan when the case goes to trial because these are his words. One, she is in the U.S., so we have jurisdiction over her because the case is in the U.S. Two, she is somebody who obviously, at least for a period of time, was a close associate of Prince Andrew and hence is in a position to perhaps have seen what he did, although not really because the alleged actions happened in the late 1990s, if I'm not mistaken, and back to David Boyce, and perhaps if not to have seen what he did, to have heard people talk about it. Okay, I'll give him that. 
Because of her past association with him, she may very well have important knowledge and will certainly have some knowledge. And three, she is somebody who we can count on to tell the truth. She checks all three boxes. Uh, yeah, so not that it's literally possible for anyone to not know at this point, but Andrew is accused of forcing Jufrey to have sex against her will three times between 1999 and 2002 in London, New York, and on a Caribbean island owned by Jeffrey Epstein. For his part, Andrew's legal team, we're going to talk about this in a second, is argued their motion to dismiss the case on January 4th. That's today. But I let's we'll talk about that in a second. But I would love to hear your thoughts on Megan being uh, potentially called to uh, that. I mean, talk about like <laughs> ruining just like ruining family relations 101 or at this point 501. My gosh, that's just. Ugh. Yeah, I. I, I um. So I've been following this case pretty closely and there are some reporters that I've been really watching carefully and kind of hearing their commentary on everything. Um, and I was surprised I had not heard that when you, when you said that that's not something that any of them have brought up. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it's possible. I don't, uh, I kind of feel like that wouldn't happen and I'm not really sure she would provide anything beneficial for them. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that she would really have any information on that. I, I could be wrong, but uh, what do you think? I mean, well, I would say why not call Harry? You know, I mean, wouldn't Harry? Right. Harry's known him a whole lot longer than Megan has, um, and he. I mean, he's not an American citizen, at least not, not that I'm aware of. But he does live in the U.S. now, and uh, but this could all be for nothing because yesterday, this past Monday, um, Jufri's. Uh, 2009 settlement with Jeffrey Epstein was released, which revealed that Epstein paid Jufri $500,000 to drop the case without any admission of liability or fault. This is coming from CNN. So the document was unsealed as a part of Jufri's lawsuit against Prince Andrew with his lawyers arguing in his motion to dismiss Jufri's case that her current lawsuit violates the terms of the settlement agreement with Epstein in which she agreed to a general release of claims against Epstein and others. So it's important to note that Andrew's name does not explicitly appear as a party in reference to others, but the agreement does say it serves to remise, release, acquit, satisfy, and forever discharge parties and any other person or entity who could have been included as a potential defendant, to which Andrew could potentially fall. So basically it's a, it's a settlement. This 2009 settlement was made to avoid litigation against Epstein. It also covered other parties and Jufri's lawyer said the details of the 2009 agreement with Epstein were irrelevant to her claim against Andrew saying that it doesn't mention Andrew by name, which it does not, but it does say, however, that in addition to the sum she received, it agrees. It says she agrees to drop claims against Epstein and anyone else who could have been included as a potential defendant. Of course, Andrew's lawyers are saying that Andrew is covered under that language. So the question becomes, does this settlement cover Prince Andrew? The answer to that question will determine whether Andrew goes to trial later this year or whether the suit is dismissed. Um, Andrew's attorneys had no comment on the unsealing of the 2009 settlement, but oral arguments in Andrew's suit were today, Tuesday, January 4th. If Andrew's lawyers are unsuccessful and or if the case isn't settled, Andrew's headed to court sometime between September and December. 
The court hearing happened this morning in New York and was presided over by Judge Lewis A. Kaplan, who heard arguments for about an hour via teleconference. Judge Kaplan wrapped up the hearing by saying he would have his decision on whether to dismiss the case, quote unquote, pretty soon. I don't know what that means. So as of this recording on Tuesday night, we're still waiting on that decision. I expect we'll be able to talk about it on next week's episode. So love to hear your thoughts on this. This is big, yeah. big, big. Um, so one of the people I was listening to talk about this, um, her, her thoughts were essentially the broad language could be too broad. And let me, let me tell you her name listeners. I want to make sure I give her credit. So her name is Leslie Kritzer. She's, um, been reporting on this with a few other people and they've been reporting through Instagram. Um, but if I remember correctly earlier today, I think she was saying, you know, that kind of language could essentially include anybody in the world. And that seems to be a little bit unreasonably broad. Right. right. Um, and they would need to determine what that was supposed to mean by talking to Jeffrey Epstein, who's not here to talk about that. So, um, her thoughts, Leslie seems to think that it could very possibly go to trial. So I don't know, we'll see what happens. Um, that was, some really interesting commentary from her. She's been doing um, Instagram lives or, along with a few others that have been working with her. If if anybody wants to follow her and and go along with the story, so yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, I I uh, Lewis Kaplan is earning every penny that he makes on this decision. It's it's yeah. tough. We'll see what yeah. we'll see what happens. We'll talk about this for sure. I well, I say for sure. He said pretty soon. I would assume that that would be within a week. But um, gosh, the thought of this case not going to trial is uh, kind of a bombshell, you know, and um, man, Jeffrey Epstein was really apparently looking out for his whole coterie of, uh, of offenders, but not enough to look out for Jelaine or Jelaine, Golaine Maxwell. Mm -hmm. She was found guilty. So um, we, we, that has, that happened over our break. So that's, I can't imagine that's news to anybody listening, but well, man, so there's still quite a while before they do sentencing for her. So we'll have to see what, what happens there as well. Yep. The mess continues. So total pivot. Charles has written a lengthy essay for Newsweek discussing the growing threat to the environment and encouraging global leaders to come together to work through a solution. In the essay, he praised the work of both of his sons pertaining to the environment, writing the scale and scope of the threat calls for regional and global solutions that will require the active participation of every sector of industry in every country around the world. As a father, I'm proud that my sons, plural sons, have recognized this threat. And as we close the first Royal Rundown of 2022, I don't mean to be snarky about this, but I kind of do. I think some of our Instagram followers thought I was being a little snarky, but I wasn't, but yet I was. Um, may we all be reminded that, <laughs> that anything is possible. <laughs> uh, you know, okay. Uh, uh, hold on. I'll explain what I mean by that. But the news item is on New Year's Eve, the queen appointed Camilla to be a royal lady of the Order of the Garter. So I reread Tina Brown's The Diana Chronicles over the break. And I mean, my, how far we've come since Camilla was Charles's mistress at Highgrove. And from the days when the queen said she'd never accept Camilla as a part of the family, Charles said in the late 90s that Camilla was a non-negotiable for him. And now here we are in 2022, Camilla is joining the Order of the Garter. 
extremely exclusive club, which includes the queen who is sovereign of the garter, several senior members of the royal family and 24 knights chosen by her majesty in recognition of their work, be it in public office or through personally serving the queen as Camilla has done through her work as Duchess of Cornwall. The Order of the Garter is so exclusive that it is limited to 24 and it was founded by Edward III in 1348 and is the most senior order of knighthood in the very confusing, I might add, British honor system. So this is my New Year's message to all of our listeners, no matter where you start. The mistress at Highgrove can become a lady of the Order of the Carter. So what do you think? This is a big deal for Camilla. I mean, congratulations. Like she, you know, look, she's done a lot of work for the Queen. She's been married to Charles for 16, going on uh, 17 years in April. And so congratulations. That's my, that's my final word on that. What do you think? Yeah. For sure. I mean, it's a huge honor and it does say a lot about where the queen's relationship with Camilla is today. You know, I mean, they've had decades to work on their relationship and I will say this, you know, Camilla has made her share of questionable moves, I guess, in the past. Um, But I think one thing that she's been true to is Charles Um, and she's really stood by his side and she's been loyal to the family since she's been a part of it and she's really stepped into her role and she's quietly endured criticism and, you know, she could have, she could have talked about it, she could have caused a stir, but she knew it was important and and she knew she had this sort of uphill battle and um, she was looking ahead at the end game and I I think, um, especially after a really tough year for the queen with a lot of um, really kind of bad PR around the family. I, um, I'm sure she's really come to appreciate Camilla's respect and loyalty in that regard. And, um, I think, I think it just says a lot about, uh, where their relationship is, is today. And, um, I don't know, good for her. Congratulations. Yes. Congratulations sincerely. And I also think that, um, it says a lot as to, um, if Camilla will be queen consort, which I truly believe she will be when Charles ascends to the throne. So I think this is the first step of paving the way for Camilla to be a full consort. So for sure, there's that. So, okay, really brief segment two Royals around the world before we go into our interview with Bethan. So we were really happy to hear that Princess Charlene was able to spend Christmas with her family. This is such good news. Though the palace said it may take a few more months to a full recovery. Her recovery is reassuring. We love to hear it. So happy to hear that. And exciting news out of Belgium. We have a royal wedding to look forward to. Belgium's Princess Maria Laura is engaged to William Isvi. Maria Laura is the niece of King Philippe of Belgium and the daughter of Princess Astrid and Prince Lorenz. Congratulations. I can't wait to see the wedding dress. (laughs) Congratulations. So segment three, we're having a birthday party. It's Kate's 40th birthday special, and we are thrilled to have Beth and Holt on the show today, the perfect person to help us mark and celebrate Kate's 40th birthday, which is on January 9th. Take a listen to our conversation. January 9th marks the Duchess of Cambridge's milestone 40th birthday. So we decided to throw a birthday bash on the show for Kate and invite our friend Bethan Holt, author of The Duchess of Cambridge, A Decade of Modern Royal Style, and 2022's The Queen, 70 Years of Majestic Style. Bethan is also the Fashion News and Features Director at The Telegraph, and a lovely person to know. 
Welcome to the show, Bethan. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here to talk all things Duchess of Cambridge. Yes, we are thrilled to have you. And by the way, just want to sneak this in here. Super excited for your next book. I loved your first book and can't wait for the Queen's 70 Years of Majestic Style. When is the release date on that? So that will be out, I think it's April the 19th, um, 2022. So just before the Queen's birthday. And yeah, I mean, it was such a fun book to research. I really went back, you know, to the 1940s, 1950s, looked at her as a young woman and right up to today. And there's just some amazing stories about the Queen's fashion and how she's created this iconic style over the years. So yeah, I really hope everyone will enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it. I cannot wait to read it. And if I'm not mistaken, the Duchess of Cambridge, a decade of modern royal style came out right around the Duchess of Cambridge's birthday last year. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was just a tiny bit afterwards. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of released um, to be in the run up to their 10 year wedding anniversary, um, yeah. kind of between the kind of engagement and wedding anniversary and her birthday. So, yeah, the peak Kate time of year. Yes. Well, as we know, Kate's impact extends far beyond fashion, but seeing as though you literally wrote the book on Kate's style, <laughs> let's start there. So Kate dresses beautifully. This is not a secret, but the so-called, one of the, one of the biggest points of, of note that I remember from reading your book about Kate was the Kate Middleton effect. It has a real economic impact on British, fa British fashion. Tell us about her impact in this avenue. Yeah, I mean, her impact is, it's amazing. And I think it's quite hard to quantify. One of the figures that I found in my research was that she may add up to a billion pounds a year to the fashion industry, which is just, you know, incredible, you know, such a far reaching effect. Um, but what I really actually love about the Kate effect is how tangibly you can see it on the labels that she wears and supports. And that's not just like the really big labels that everyone knows about anyway, but sometimes it can be a really small um, label. You know, I remember interviewing this woman um, in Ireland who had an Irish uh, jewelry brand and she had just, you know, given Kate um, a couple of her pieces. You know, she did this as a hobby and, Kate wore those pieces when she was on her tour in Ireland. Um, I think her brand's called All the Falling Stars. And now she's been able to kind of quit her job and do it as a full-time business, all thanks to, you know, the Duchess of Cambridge wearing some of her pieces. So there's those really lovely human stories, um, as well as that bigger economic impact and the way that she supports British brands, she supports British businesses and gives them a real kind of boost on the global fashion stage, which I think is um, an amazing part of her role and a really powerful thing that she can do. Obviously, we saw that with her wedding dress. You know, Alexander McQueen became a globally known name because that fashion house created her wedding gown. Um, and it really kind of took them to the next level of fame. So, yeah, it's a really interesting phenomenon and one that I think isn't going away anytime soon. 
And I don't think that it can be understated either because people think of fa- or these, the three of us on this call don't, but some people think of fashion as frou-frou. It's not that important, but seriously, Kate is driving economic numbers huge through the roof for the UK and, and, and through fashion, she's, she's helped brands large and small. And I don't think that we should gloss over that. I think it's really important. Totally. I think you're completely right. And it is that economic help and it is that economic boost, but it's also the way that she uses clothes. You know, she's, she's no fool. She knows that, you know, the first thing everyone is looking at when she um, arrives at an appearance is her outfit and, you know, her looking glamorous will mean that she makes the front pages of newspapers, that a picture of her goes viral on Instagram or on Twitter, um, that it's all over the news sites. She knows that looking good helps to amplify everything else that she does. Um, and she does it really clever. Sometimes it's just about looking great. Sometimes it's about wearing the right color, you know, wearing something with meaning that that shows how respectful she's being. For instance, if she's on tour, she'll wear the color of the country's flag. You know, just these really clever fashion messages that she puts into her clothes that just take it from being, you know, silly fashion to actually being something really um, diplomatically important. Mm-hmm. I, I love that about her. Um, other than her fashion, what is something that you most appreciate about Kate? I mean, that's really hard because I think as a journalist, you, you sort of try not to be, um, you know, kind of a fangirl, <laughs> I guess. But I think something that I personally admire about her is her sort of elegant and I don't mean that just in a fashion sense I I like the way that she uh, approaches her life in I think what is a quietly confident way and a quietly powerful way you know um she has had a lot of impact she's had a lot of um really good ideas and a lot of you know really interesting things that she's put her voice to kind of around mental health and things but she's always done it in a a very accessible a very light touch kind of way um and I also really appreciate her kind of stamina and her staying power you know because for so long people kind of called her weighty Katie and Mm -hmm. would William ever make an honest woman of her or anything and you know, she's, she really stuck with it and she's played the long game. And I think that's actually kind of really only paying off the last couple of years. And she's had this rise to huge appreciation. Um, and that's taken a long time, but she she always just kind of kept going. Absolutely. And, and through her work with the royal family, Kate is a patron of over 20 charitable and military organizations, many of which reflect her personal interests, think about her love of photography and her work with the National Portrait Gallery or her love of sport and her work with the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club. So how does Kate make impact through her patronages? Well, I think the point that you make with your question is what's really important here. You know, she's she's taken a very different strategy to what a lot of previous royals have taken, where they will have hundreds of patronages. And a lot of them, they don't really have a massive personal interest in necessarily. You know, they're just 
doing it out you know because because they're a royal and why not have another patronage but I think Kate's patronages are really well thought out and they tap into her personal passions and what that means is that when she is then carrying out public engagements with those patronages it creates a really exciting moment for in you know as you you mentioned about tennis you know we saw her with um, Emma Raducanu a couple of months ago and they were like having a game of tennis they were two two girls who love tennis having a game and that created such an amazing kind of photograph and story for everyone that it was so much more powerful than someone who doesn't care about tennis just mm -hmm. kind of walking up and shaking Emma's hand and saying well done you know Kate was getting in there she was playing the tennis I also think that um you know she's been able in a similar way to how Princess Diana did she's been able to shine light on things that we don't necessarily talk about enough you know she's said some really hard-hitting things about addiction about mental health um and she's shown a huge amount of compassion for those things um and yeah helped to make people think about them in a different way, I think. I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, you know, it seems like right now in her life, nothing matters more to Kate than what she has been doing with the early years support and children's mental health. Can we uh, dig into that a little bit? And can you tell us how she's really making an impact in this area right now? Yeah, definitely. Well, she's, she said herself that, um, you know, everyone assumes that her interest in the early years is because she has three young children. Um, and I'm sure that that certainly does play a part. But she's also said that, you know, this really was an idea that germinated even before she had kids. And when she was looking into the kinds of charities that she would want to support and the causes that she would want to lend her name to as a royal, what she kept coming back to with with everything any kind of hardship in life is how so much of it is rooted in what happens to you between the time that you're conceived and the time that you're five years old um you know those years of your life are so formative and have such an impact on how the rest of your life kind of pans out and and that's where it began for her and I, I think lots of people think oh you know it's just cute children and she has cute children of her own and you know but actually I think there's a more hard-hitting reason behind it um and so she's been able to kind of juggle those two aspects of it the sort of evidence of it with her own experience as a mother and being able to talk about that firsthand and kind of do some quite fun interviews where she talks about you know the hardships and the ups and downs and her own childhood as well and people love to hear those things you know because we don't we don't know loads about Kate but when we do get a snippet of her personal life people love that um but it goes hand in hand with this you know very serious point about how important it is to have a good start in life mm -hmm. so it, as if the work that she's doing isn't enough which it's it's amazing what she's been able to do in her years as a royal She's also a supportive partner to a future king and simultaneously the mother to another future king. We can't obviously underscore what a monumental task this is in and of itself, in addition to the work she undertakes. So how does she balance her work as a wife and mother with her work as a royal? Because from where I sit, it seems pretty seamless. I'm sure that it is incredibly difficult to balance all of the competing forces, but how does she make it all work? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. It's um, it's definitely a juggle. But I think she is. I think she's conscious, you know, that she's not going to be queen, you know, in the in the same way that Queen Elizabeth is queen. You know, William is going to be king, and she is um, going to be by his side, you know, and that's a sort of responsibility and a job that that she's taken on um, and in the same way I think her and William as a as a couple understand that one of their most important jobs is preparing George to be king as well so um, I think that although she has these personal passions and these personal projects I think we very often will see Kate um, supporting William and being there for him um, at moments that, that really matter to him and sort of helping bring his family together and, and realising her role as a matriarch as well. Um, and I think she will really come into her own with that as William's role becomes more senior. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a balancing act for her but ultimately she knows that that's the most important thing that she is there to support her her husband and, and then her son in the future and even her father-in-law you know um yeah. and she can be this kind of woman that the that the family really depends on um as they go about these kind of huge responsibilities well, I would love to hear your take on how the royal family has become better because of the addition of Kate a decade ago. And, um, you know, what's a positive direction that may not have happened without her influence? Well, I think the obvious thing to say here is that she, her arrival on the scene has just brought this kind of burst of renewed excitement. Um, about the royal family I think before Kate and William got engaged there wasn't this like young star couple or person I mean obviously you kind of had Harry and William but um, the monarchy ultimately is all about continuity isn't it and continuity means marriage continuity means babies <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and the last 10 years have just seen this incredible wave of attention on the British royal family, which is thanks to Kate and William's wedding and the birth of their three children. And now this ongoing sort of story of the Cambridge family and them growing up. So I think that's that's been incredibly important. I think what that also has represented is this sort of stability, which perhaps hasn't really been around very much before that, because obviously with William's parents, you'd had um, a lot of drama. Um, there'd been the tragedy of his mother's death and a lot of um, difficulty after that. And yeah, the, the sort of positive, um, vibes around the royal family had perhaps not been there quite so much but I think you know Kate has added this this lightness and this positivity to the family um which has really you know if we're just talking very honestly here has really shored up the brand of the British royal family for the future yeah and I'm just I'm just sitting here thinking about just how incredibly positive, as a child of divorce myself, like William, having such a 
dependable and stable and consistent force in your life like Kate cannot be understated. And I want to take a break from talking about her as a royal for a moment. Let's talk about her as a person. Obviously, you have copiously researched the Duchess of Cambridge. You've, again, written the book on her. But what is she like as a woman, as a human being, outside of being royal? Well, I think that she is actually quite understated. Um, I think, you know, she loves nothing more, from what I've heard, than you know, quite honestly, being in the garden, playing with her kids, um, going to the beach with them, um, going on bike rides with them, just living a very normal life. Um, and I think, you know, she doesn't have this craving for, you know, huge fame and stardom. Um, and I think that has really helped to keep her feet on the ground, you know, while she's been experiencing the level of fame that she has the last few years you really get this sense that she and William like to retreat and be private and have family time and you know they're not they're not interested in um you know kind of jetting off to celebrity villas all the time and um you know schmoozing with showbiz people um you know they'd much rather be messing around in Norfolk in a field um so I think that's that's really nice as well but I also think of course you can't be in the position that she's in without having quite a steely core you know having a very solid sense of who you are um uh what you think um and and really sticking to that and being quite strong and I think she is a strong woman and you know, we often think about strong women now as people who are incredibly outspoken and, um, you know, willing to say things that are, you know, not what other people would say. And I totally support that and think it's it's brilliant. But I think you can be strong in other ways as well. Um, and I think Kate, Kate demonstrates a different kind of strength, which I think maybe lots of other women relate to. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's probably what she's like a little bit but I don't know <laughs> really that was really beautifully said that was I, I couldn't have said that better so thank you definitely um one of Kate's next major steps is eventually becoming queen consort how do you foresee her in this role well I think she will have had a very good um inspiration and teacher in Prince Philip um, obviously she will do things differently and in a more modern way, but I think his sense of duty and his ability to have found a role for himself, which was unique and was powerful, but that was, you know, in no way overshadowing of the Queen, um, will have really set a template for Kate and how she wants to act um, when she is queen consort. Um, but, you know, I also think she will have this, this added difficulty that, you know, there's no denying that there's huge interest in her, you know, as a, as a beautiful woman, you kind of can't get away sometimes from the fact that you're the star attraction. And so I think her and William will um, work very carefully to find ways to capitalize on that and make the most of that 
while still being very resolute about the fact that, you know, he's the king, um, you know, and they'll have choppy waters to, um, to address together. You know, it's not going to necessarily be, um, be easy and the state of the monarchy and the attitude to the monarchy, I think, may change over the coming years and generations. So, you know, they'll have a lot of modernizing to do. And I think they could be, um, you know, really quite, quite seismic in their influence on, you know, what the British royal family looks like in, you know, 50, 100 years time. Mm. Well, we are four days shy of the Duchess of Cambridge's 40th birthday. So, what do you, I mean, obviously she's packed so much into these first 40 years. What do you see the next 40 years looking like for Kate? How will we see her impact continue to multiply? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see, isn't it? I think, you know, as she, as she approaches 40, she's, you know, she's really settling well into the, the role that she has. And I think that we can really start to see how she's going to act. She's taken on this, this air of seniority and this, this air of regalness um, recently, which perhaps we didn't see from her at first. So I think, I think that that evolution has certainly started, but I think I mean, hopefully it's not too boring, but kind of just more of the same and an, and a, an evolution of what we've seen from her now. You know, I think she'll pick and choose the causes that she supports. But when she does choose those causes, you know, she'll put a lot into it and try and make sure that she has a real impact with what she does. Um, and she that she has these sort of flagship um, moments and events like you know the carol concert that that she had over christmas that that really hammer home who she is and what she believes in and you know what contribution she wants to make to the world um and i think you know the respect for her will probably grow because of that absolutely well, thank you so much for being here, Bethan. We love covering the work and of course the wardrobe of the Duchess of Cambridge on our podcast. And we really, really enjoyed chatting with you today. And we're so happy you were here to join us to have a slightly early birthday celebration for Kate. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed that so much. So did I. That was such a fun chat. And I feel like I um, just really liked her, her take and her perspective. Yeah. And that book is, is a must read the Duchess of Cambridge book. And then she, like I said, at the top of the show, she's got her second book coming out in April and it's about her majesty. So um, anything else? What a, what a, what an episode. That's what happens when you take a week off is you have jam packed from every corner. So anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? I don't think so. Gosh, we had a lot of really interesting news headlines to go over today. So um, we'll connect next week and follow up on some of those. Yeah, we'll for sure be following up on the Prince Andrew. Uh, it will be, that's huge. I mean, absolutely huge. So 
Listeners, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal, where content is happening. Content is happening. Um, email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. And follow, rate, and review our podcast. You know, we, we say this at the close of every episode, but it really does help people find us in the Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all of the platforms. Um, it helps people find us with the algorithm and things that are way beyond my pay grade that I don't understand. So please just follow, rate, and review our show. And thank you so much for tuning into episode 51 of Podcast Royal. Happy New Year and may 2022 be a wonderful year for all. Bye. Bye. Thank you.